Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. My episode today is brought to you by my good friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to provide your guests with a better buying experience, more peace of mind in their purchases, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. I might also add that on the Booking Protect website, there is a great blog that I have started to contribute to regularly where we're talking about a lot of things uh, as far as the bottom of the sales funnel goes. So converting sales, uh, getting repeat customers, creating word of mouth, um, anything that's going to help you drive more revenue uh, in your digital sales process, we've started to cover a little bit more heavily on the block. So make sure you check that out because we have a couple of really exciting new uh, content opportunities and ways to uh, connect with me and Booking Protect um, in ways that will help you learn coming up in the very, very, very near future. So check that out at www.bookingprotect.com and search for the blog and you will find a ton of really cool stuff. My guests today, that's not guest singular, but plural. It's me and Brett Zelaski. Uh, Brett and I did a podcast a few months back where we uh, went back and forth with each other, had a nice little conversation, kind of covered things in a way that I don't necessarily always get the opportunity to cover them. And in this fashion, um, a lot of times when I'm doing a podcast, I maybe don't take a chance to push back as much on some ideas as I do on others. Uh, when I have bread on, we kind of just go back and forth with each other. Um, from the start, we realize that like we're just going to talk, and if we push back on each other or we kind of um, smack talk each other, totally cool. We're not like we're, there's nothing we're hiding from each other. Um, and this one I think is going to be a good one for you. Um, we talk about a lot of stuff, um, a lot of it built around early on about developing and giving sales reps the tools and ideas they need to be successful. Um, I found out recently, and I had something I had kind of known and felt and understood, is that a lot of times the sales reps on the sports team side are not being given um, the tools and the opportunities to grow that are going to make them successful long term. And where that happens, that's an opportunity for us. So Brett and I go into that pretty heavily about the tools and ideas and the ways that we can encourage and grow sales reps so that they have a chance to grow and um, become better salespeople. We talk about the ways to train kids better. We talk about the ways to make sure that our sales reps are trusted advisors. We talk about managing the sales process. We talked about um, scripts versus the moments of a sales uh, during this or moment to moment during the sales process. Um, we talked about creating urgency objections, uh, handling objections, uh, on demand moments. We talk about um, the knowledge you need. We talk about, I mean, just a whole, whole, whole lot of stuff about salespeople. 
Then we move on. We talk about some of the challenges and the opportunities created in filling stadiums. We talk about the fundamentals of filling, filling a stadium. We talk about branding, a lot about branding, actually. And when we talk about marketing, we talk about some of the um, complacency involved in marketing uh, that seems to be taking place on the team side and how teams have allowed the brand partners and the athletes to kind of take control of the marketing and branding message in a way that seems to be hurting the teams. We talked about the players. We talked about pushback. We talked about examples of really great teams and, and athletes that are doing some really cool stuff that all of us can learn from. Um, I, my Lord, we got to a lot. This is a sort of a long episode. I think there's a lot there. Um, I think I don't know if I mention it, but I will mention it here on June 5th in Los Angeles. I will be holding a one day workshop, uh, in LA, all about selling the premium experience. It's going to be a workshop where you and your contemporaries are going to have a chance to work together uh, along with me. And we're going to guide you through the entire sales process from opening relationships using some ideas that from all over the world that I've gathered um, for unique and creative ways to get in touch with decision makers, right? Identifying decision makers, understanding your value proposition, sharpening your value proposition. Um, creating a cadence and a um, some expectations for your prospecting. We're going to talk about what are the steps to manage in the sales process. We are going to work on closing. We're going to work on asking for referrals. We are going to work on creating value during the sales process. We are going to really, 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 really dig in to the premium selling process. It is the most intense premium selling workshop that I probably put together in a long time. Uh, this is going to be the first time I'm ever doing it. It's going to be great. Again, that's in LA on June the 5th. And if you are interested in learning more, send me an email at my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. And I'll get you some information. We'll work to get you signed up. I think it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for people to uh, work together, to work with me, um, to get a real comprehensive and thoughtful approach to the premium selling opportunities that are out there for people and helping people close more B2B sales. Um, but without further ado, here is me talking to Brett Zelaski, and we're going back and forth having fun. So I hope you enjoy this. I want to welcome back my friend Brett Zelaski to the Business of Fun podcast. We are going to do version two of Brett and Dave talk smack about marketing, selling, and the live experience because people seem to love the first one, so why not give you what you want? Brett, what's up, man? Not much. How are you doing, bud? It's been uh, it's been a minute, but uh, you know I, I had a blast in the last one with such good feedback, um, you know, from people that I know in the industry. So um, super awesome to be back, and congrats on all the success. Uh, with a podcast, it's it's definitely been one of my go-to listens. Oh, thank you so much! It's, uh, it's very very fun to d be able to do this, and this is like doing one with you is fun because we get to have more of a conversation. I mean, I have a conversation with everybody, but it gets like a back and forth, and I try not to necessarily always influence the conversations with my opinion when I have other people on. Sometimes because I don't know them as well, but you, I know well enough that yeah. I can like smack you around, and you can smack me around, and we'll all be having fun. So let's go for it. Let's, let's get a little bloody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let, let, let's start out with then, because this was something I brought up to you when we were getting ready to do this thing, because I had a conversation about um, really the skill level of sales reps in sports. And what it was, was there was an organization that I'm partners with, and I know, uh, I was having lunch with one of the, one of the executives, 
and he was explaining to me how um, they struggle when they bring sales reps in from outside of sports because it, the skill levels aren't always there. And I found that pretty interesting because I often had a similar belief, but I wasn't necessarily sure how accurate my belief was. Um, you said that that sort of maybe sometimes mirrors some of the feedback and some of the, the, the things that are said to you. And I don't want to beat up on anybody because if you don't know something, you don't know it. But I guess I want to start by at least figuring out, talking about the things that we want to see reps be able to do better because it will help yep. them be more successful. Um, because I think that if there's a void there, then we should be working to fulfill it. So you being more of the sales guy, I'm going to let you kick that off. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I see so many pro sports teams that, you know, when they're doing the and, and they're starting and they're doing the training with the reps, you know, a lot of it is, you know, they do a ton of training in the first two weeks and they take their foot off the gas pedal. And I think they're doing a reps a service by allowing them to go do the job. But one of the things they need to do is constant training, constant reinforcement. And a lot of what they're given in the first couple of weeks are actually scripts to be able to help them manage the conversation, which doesn't help a rep manage a conversation in the least. Um, and then a lot of times when you, when you talk about that ongoing training, you know, it might be individual, like listening to phone calls or individual role plays. And, you know, that can be really dangerous because, you know, a rep may have the worst phone call of their life when a, when a manager is listening, or they may have the best phone call of their life when a manager is listening. And so the feedback that that manager ends up giving them is, is, is terrible. Um, or they role play and let's say someone's struggling with creating urgency, um, or handling objections like, you know, time and money. And, you know, all of a sudden they're, they only do one of those in that role play. And then, you know, the manager's like, well, I'm done here. You know, I did my job with this person. Why can't they keep doing it? Um, when the reality is, you know, sales comes down to so many things like time management and how are you most effectively spending your time? And we do not do enough teaching and coaching and working with reps on, on understanding time management, which is the, to my website, I take in requests. Time management is the number one requ request that sales reps put in. Sales comes down to lots of moments, like an ability to create urgency in a moment, an ability to handle an objection in a moment, uh, an ability to be able to perform when you actually catch the chief marketing officer, or chief uh, revenue officer for a company. Um, and yet we don't spend so much time teaching those moments as we do the entire process when the entire process is important um, and scripting is important. But making that transition to help reps in those moments, help reps spend their time most efficiently, that's where we just, as, as an industry, have just completely dropped the ball. And then the most important one where we drop the ball is this idea, and we talked a little bit about this before, I hear this phrase all the time in sports, you need to know enough to be dangerous, know enough to be dangerous, know enough to be dangerous. That may have been good in the 90s when there wasn't the internet and there wasn't information. But right now, um, you look anywhere and you know there's, there's anywhere from 50% to like 92% um, of, of people come to conversations with all the information they leave, need or they leave the conversation. They do independent you know, confirmation and independent research on their own. You know, if a rep isn't truly elevating that conversation past the experience with the computer, um, they're, they're not going to be able to make the sale. If they can't handle those objections in the moment, they're not going to be able to do it. Um, and a lot of that comes down to the confidence that they have in their level of knowledge in the product, the stadium, the team, the sport they sell for, the background information on their organization, the story the organization wants them to tell right now uh, about the moment their team is in. Um, and, and reps are so woefully prepared um, for, for those moments. It's it's, it's sad, and a lot of times what you find is a rep with almost no knowledge trying and being the biggest point of contact for an individual human, 
and knowing almost nothing about what they should be saying to that person. Yeah, no, you went yeah. up a lot, and I'm glad you touched on the moments because I thought that was a really important point. Um, two books I would point people towards on this thing, right? This, number one is a book called The Trusted Advisor, which you said that, um, a lot of people come to a sales conversation with 90 95%, whatever number, and you know how accurate that number is is like irrelevant. Um, what people want, though, from their sales reps, and this is across the board, it doesn't matter if it's sports, it doesn't matter if it's SaaS, it doesn't matter if it's nonprofits, it doesn't matter what it is, right? Is they want your insights. They want they need new ideas, right? The the scope and scale of change today is um, is rapid, right? So being a trusted advisor and understanding how your experience, your product, your service fits into their needs and helps them get closer to a specific business objective is going to be um, just tremendously valuable because I don't know that enough sales reps spend enough time going like, hey, Brett, you're the chief sales officer for X company, right? Um, who are you trying to reach, right? Who, yeah. what, what are you trying to achieve, right? So let me help you make sh sure that you're getting in touch with these people because they have a box that's like three doors down from you. So let me introduce you to them. Let me uh, set up a little like happy hour for you before the game, right? Like a little chance for you guys to have a, a grab a drink or something, right? Something yep. like that. The second book, because when you talk moment to moment, that I think is extremely valuable, it's uh, by a guy called Anthony Inarino, um, who somehow a lot of people who are in sales in sports have come to associate me with him. And I think that's just because um, – I've been fortunate enough to, like, Anthony sends me all of his books when he writes them, and I get a chance to, like, review them early. Um, and I, I speak very highly of him because he's a freaking genius when it comes he's to sales. Yeah, when it comes to sales is um, the lost art of closing. And so he talks about managing the sales process um, in steps, right? And you need to understand every step of the sales process, and that kind of highlights the moment-to-moment -moment thing you, you're talking about because it's not like and – I, and I think he put in the words what I felt – intuitively was that closing is not an event it's a process right oh, yeah 100%. And it's like so important to keep that in mind um you know because if you're always just like you know the abcs of closing i think you're missing a lot of opportunities right it, because you know there's it's not a one-size-fits-all solution um it's not like you know just because everybody's in business in washington dc they're all doing the same thing i could tell you for a fact since I'm sitting in the middle of Washington D.C. right now, is like the difference between a nonprofit and a government contractor is night and day. Night and day. A difference between a business in the private sector in D.C. and the difference between a private sector business in anywhere else in the world couldn't be further different. So you got to understand situational uh, expertise, and you got to see, so you have to hone that over and over and yep. over again. And I don't think that. Um, at least in my experience, it's always given the priority that it needs. And I think that, you know, that's a, um, a really powerful point you made. So, I mean, well, well, I just, I think one of the things that, that a rep needs to do, right, is if someone's going to do all this research on your product or is going to do all this research on you, you need to have an opinion, right? Like you need to have an opinion about what the right <laughs> thing for that person is to buy. Like that's the right, what's the, so I, I make this comparison when I do my sales training, but can you imagine going into a Joseph A bank um, and the, and the sales rep walks up to you and they're like, all right, what are you looking for today? And you know, they ask you 10, 15 questions. They do all your measurements. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they were just like, well, the whole store's over there. Good luck. And you're like, why Brett, did I just look answer all these questions? Why did I engage with you? Why did I talk to you? Like, you uh, tell me what I need to buy right now. And 
it's such a letdown when you think about yourself on the other end of that process. If you've answered all these questions, you've had this dialogue, you've had this conversation, and then they're like, well, we have three game plans and six game plans and nine game plans and season tickets. You know, I call it kitchen sinking. Like what a letdown it must be for the client. Like, why did I just have a 10 minute conversation with this person? Like, what was the whole point of that dialogue if this person doesn't have an opinion? I could have just looked online for this information. I could have talked to my friend who's a season ticket holder and figured out what they like about it. Like, what was the point of engaging with that rep? And yet, everywhere I go, every rep is in the like every rep kitchen sinks. And it's one of the what's one of the large frustration points to me is you know whether uh, a rep's selling for a losing team with nobody in the stands or a winning team with a full house, like. It, it doesn't it doesn't change. Um, and, and having an opinion on it, I think, is is especially in this day and age. You know, maybe there was a time 10, 15 years ago when people weren't informing themselves to the level that they are now, where not informing informing them with all the information was OK because they truly didn't have it. But now we need to have an opinion um, because there's there all the information is available to them. Well, you need to have an opinion, too, because there's so many people who are asking your buyer and your prospect for their money. So yes. but should they have an opinion, right? I mean, yeah. having an opinion is not a bad a bad thing, right? It's like if I'm you – know, this is not role-playing, but if it's – um, you know, let's say I'm a – and this is sort of how I ended up getting back into the ticket so heavily is my wife is um, – she runs a business. It's um, you know somewhere between fifty and eighty million dollars a year. She does a lot of entertaining of uh, clients, and she wanted to take a bunch of people to a game at in Atlanta, right? It was a business development thing, right? So she wanted to invite a bunch of um, like partners from law firms or chief uh, legal officers, general counsels, whatever their titles were. Um, and I was like, she was like, "Can you help me get the get the right suite and get me get everything?" And the challenge it was very frustrating because here I am. I've got not my credit card, but I got my my wife's corporate card with money to burn, right? Like I'm gonna like I'm loading this thing up because I know exactly what she needs. And the frustration was real in trying to get people on the phone who could engage with me as a business person, who could engage with me around the goals and the objectives that I needed to achieve, um, and who could do a little bit more than just be an order taker. And it was very, very yeah. frustrating. And so I think that this idea of like, you don't want to have an opinion for, I don't know why, why it's become so prominent. Um, maybe you don't want to offend somebody or you don't want to upset somebody, or I don't know what it is. Um, it's wrong because, you know, I sat in a very contentious, I wouldn't say it was very contentious, but I sat in a, a mildly contentious uh, sales meeting on Tuesday. Right. And it wasn't because it, either one of us was, irritated or angry it was just like we were working through the challenge and the challenge is interesting and it, it's it, it's not easy to solve and so the contention was because we were going back and forth on the way to solve the problem not because we were like yes. it, adversarial it was just like well what about this and like oh that's like that idea is not going to work because of this and this and at the end the guy was like well, well when do we start working together right so it was like <laughs> so a lot of cases that's just the way people negotiate or like work to a solution. They need to talk it out. They need to push back on the idea because they want to know what the flip side is because maybe they can only see it one way. And I think it's really important that you be comfortable and confident enough in yourself that you're comfortable pushing back. You're comfortable saying, well, that's not exactly right, sir. Um, this is, or ma'am, this is, this is what you should be looking at because, and here's why. 
and, yeah. and having faith in that. You should be the expert in that. Yeah, well, when you have there's and this is what I tell reps, there's no downside when you have an opinion. Like there's no downside, right? So they either say, yes, I agree with your opinion. Then you need to create urgency for that person to be able to do it now and not later. Or they say no. And then you proactively put yourself in a place to handle objections, right? Like all of a sudden now, you know, an objection's coming, you can prepare for it, you can brace for it. And all of a sudden you're in a negotiation at that point, not a, cause it's either directly handling their objection, you know, going off a season ticket into a partial plan or you've got so or changing their seat location or the amount of tickets they have or actually handling the objection or the challenge like there are just so many ways that you can make that sale once you put yourself into a moment that you know i have reps be like oh you know people ask me to send emails all the time and like and reps are like and so i'm in all these conversations and i'm like that's not sales like that's information delivery you may as well be the post office or the internet um if you've Having been pushed off the sending the information, you've lost the sale. A hundred percent. And they don't they they think sending an email is a positive step in the sales process when it is literally the greatest kiss off of all time. Like I, I, I can count on my hands the amount of people that came back to me after I sent an email. Um, whereas those people that I engage with I push on, I make a recommendation, I have an opinion, we get into a negotiation about it. Those people close at a, a rate that may be, and then this is just going to be not, this is going to be pretty scientific, I think, but about a billion percent higher. <laughs> that's about right. I think that's that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> I mean, it goes, it's similar to when I talk about my, my sales process and consulting, which I go, well, you know, in most cases, the closing rate, once somebody gets a proposal from me, is around 85 or 90%. And people are like, holy crap, Like, how do you do that? And I go, well, the thing is, is I spent so much time qualifying people. I make so, yep. much, mo- so much time uh, spent in discovery and like making sure that like I, ha- I can help, right? So at the point that we get to the, that you get the, pr- uh, the proposal, it's like more a, a matter of like, how am I going to work with, with Dave? And it should be the same thing, right? Like don't just rush to get to the point of like a yes or no. Like go, hey, look, let me have a conversation with you. Let me figure out what's going on, right? Because I'm going to make a guarantee that um, that probably matches your billion percent higher thing is that if you're having effective conversations, the size of your sales is going to grow exponentially. It, it just it, it, because somebody's going to have come to you and gone, oh well, I, I need this, right? And they've already decided what they need, but but the. The thing I can tell you as a consultant is that like what you think you need and what you really need is usually a very far apart, right? Um, I've used the story many times before about when I was working um, with American Express in the secondary market where I'd have people call me all the time and go, look, I got a, a budget of 100 bucks a ticket to take this new prospect to a Yankees game and entertain and I'd be like, oh, what kind of prospect is? It? Oh, what's your business? Oh, you know, like I would know these things. And all of a sudden, that sale would go from two hundred bucks for the pair of tickets to be like uh, two fifty a ticket, right? So then I'd like quadrupled the sale, it, it yeah. like just a five minute conversation. You know what happens? It's not the guy's mad too because he spent four times as much. He's ecstatic because he's all of a sudden he's like, going, I'm in a position to to win this guy over. You told me all the stuff I need to know. This is a freaking bargain, and that's the way you have to approach it. The dumbest, the dumbest thing I hear all the time is you need to build rapport with the client. You need to build rapport with the client. You need to build rapport with the client. That is the most dangerous 
phrase in sales right now. I mean, to your point, you need to be their trusted advisor. Um, this idea of building rapport is so dangerous because then all of a sudden you're talking about their kid's podiatry appointment um, and your ability to bring that back to a sales conversation is going to be almost none. Like if I'm a ticket sales rep, every question I ask them needs to be qualifying against how many, what, what ticket package is right for them? How many seats is right for them? And what location in the stadium is right for them? If I'm asking any question that has nothing to do with that, I am only shooting myself in the foot. Like I, I love to hear you talk about like, you know, qualifying and qualification because we do such a crap job in sports of qualifying our buyers and our leads and our people because we are under this mythical idea that they need to like us. And I don't know if there's, there's a great book called The Sale is a Love Affair um, by Jack Vincent, um, who's a guy that I, I've gotten to know pretty well. And um, I, I just really love this book. Um, but the thing he says is the one thing that mitigates risk is trust. Um, being friendly doesn't mitigate risk. Like, no. It's still really risky if you don't trust that person. The one thing that mitigates risk, and that's trust. If they trust you, if they believe in you, if they think you're there to help them, they will buy from you. Yes. If they just think you're being nice to them or you're trying to get them to like you, then all that's going to happen is they're going to ask you to send an email and they're going to ghost you because they don't want to tell you no as a person. Right. Yeah, people are mostly not confrontational, number one. So they will try to tell you no in the nicest possible way. But the, that's the other thing. It's like you, you, you can still build rapport and be professional, right? This is an um, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly important point because I, I see so many bad, like, um, I guess, uh, team building or promotional efforts um, that are built around the idea of like maybe trying to make the sales reps uh, seem human or likable or whatever, right? The fucking champion. Oh, and excuse my <laughs> language. The championship belts, the, uh, the tie clipping, all this crap. All it does is it knocks away from that trust, right? Because if you're like sitting there and you're like the CMO of, a, of an organization and somebody calls me up on the phone and I'm like clicking, who the hell is this guy? Um, and I see uh, tie clipping. I'm going to be like, that's not a profession. Um, yeah. One of the things I remember like very early on, I used to deal with um, some big finance. I still deal with some big financial firms, but big financial firms. But I remember being at the ALSD conference. 2015 or 2016 when I think it was the person who was responsible for getting the tickets for Goldman Sachs, I believe. But the example doesn't matter. The person doesn't matter because this example holds true no matter who I'm talking to. Um, Was like begging that you would put people in a position that were professional when dealing with like companies like Goldman Sachs or like when I was dealing with American Express. You know, it's like be a professional. Be able to add value to the relationship. Be able to have yes. an opinion. Be able to um, help solve a problem. Help put me in a position to be successful. This is the thing that I was at Intix in January in Dallas, and one of the people I worked with at American Express stood in line after my revenue seminar. Like he was like I hadn't known him for fifteen years, and I was like, and he was like, going, well, we haven't seen each other in a little bit of time. I didn't want to just rush up, rush up on you, and I was like, going, and the conversation was about how much value. And how much yep. they could trust me. And and I was like, going, yes, that's all it is. And they, they still trust me to this day because they still come to me from time to time to ask me for ideas and ways to solve problems. Trust. And it's and the thing is, trust is not enough because you can like somebody, you can even trust them, but you wouldn't trust them with your business. You need to send a, a sense of professionalism and dedication to your job 
that really gives people the ability and the desire to want to trust you to invest their money with you, right? Because that's what they're making. They're making an investment in their success in you. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing is, you know, I know I got some pushback from some people who think that, you know, I'm against now that now I'm, I'm against tie clippings and I'm against, you know, the, the, the celebrations and all that stuff when, you know, that honestly couldn't be farther from the truth. I think the culture of an organization is important. Um, and I think, you know, part of what a manager has to do is sell the culture of their organization out to people who may work there. But what they also have to understand is this is not a or conversation. You don't have to be anti-tie clipping or pro-tie clipping, right? Like what my, if you actually read what I say, it's balanced. Like I understand the sellout of the organization from a culture standpoint to people who may eventually work there, but you can't do that exclusively. You also need to be able to make sure you balance that by providing value about why people will buy your tickets. And then be thoughtful about the way, if you're going to present the tie clipping, like be thoughtful about the way that you present that person who got their tie clipped and why they got promoted. Tell the story of the value of that person and why they're going to make your organization better. Don't just be like, hey, we did this yesterday. Congratulations to them, right? Like this, we, we get so focused on making it an or conversation. You're either in this camp or you're in this camp. When the reality is, is I don't think anyone's saying you shouldn't promote the culture of your organization on LinkedIn. I think what they're trying to say is you need to be thoughtful about the way that you present the culture of your organization on LinkedIn. And you also need to make sure that there's an audience of people that are trying to buy your tickets on this channel that you are reliant on. Every team I talk to says we struggle selling business to business. And the question is how much value are you providing to those businesses in the way that they're going to look you up? If all that business does when they see you is tie clipping, tie clipping, tie clipping, tie clipping, tie clipping, tie clipping, tie clipping over and over and over again – they're going to form an opinion that you don't care about adding value to their business. Right. But if you do both and you find ways to add value, they'll look past the tie clipping because they'll understand the culture or spend more time talking about why that tie clipping was important and what that rep did to be able to earn that so people understand why that's a valuable piece of the culture of your organization. But just doing that exclusively or doing it that without explaining it, that's where – that's where the big challenge goes outside of that. And again, every team I talk to, what's one of the things we struggle with? We struggle with business to business sales. Yeah. Like look internally just a little bit. I um I, I can make a small fortune off of helping people become better more successful at B2B sales. If anybody's looking for help, B2B sales. My uh my email address is David Dave Wakeman. Absolutely. Um, but no, it's absolutely true. It's not that I Again, that's the same kind of pushback I get. It's not that I have any problem at all with the culture, right? It's like, because I I, I know how important it is, right? Because being a sales rep or being in any of these things, these jobs are tough. They're not easy. I mean, people who think they are, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're misguided. But the thing is, is like, you don't do all of this like rah rah stuff at the expense of the ultimate success of the sales rep in the organization. You can promote people in the right way. Um, you know, using some of these things, but it's like too often it falls into the thing where like the only thing they're worried about is culture. And then it like becomes, that's the only thing. And then it becomes a, as we were talking about before catching up, it's like, if you're only in, um, only listen to Fox news or you only listen to MSNBC, you only see the world one way. And all it is, is becomes sports, sports biz reps and sports biz people liking and commenting and clicking on and sharing uh, these quote-unquote, culture 
photos and things and does nothing to advance the sales rep's ability to develop business to business um, connections and, and, well, and provide I, value. I, I go online and it's like, like, and LinkedIn has become all partial plans and tie clippings. <laughs> and it's like, and friends and families things. discounts. Don't forget those friends and family discounts, Brett. And, and neither of those, right? Like, or any of those actually help you sell tickets to businesses. Like none of those things do on the platform that you, sh- that LinkedIn as a platform should be used to two things, sell business to business tickets mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and support hiring great people into your organization. Those are the two things that I would look at that I would look at LinkedIn as. And so I want to make sure that if I'm a, if I'm a manager or director that not just mine, but all of our reps, all of our people, that it is balanced in the way that they do it. And as a manager, mine may be 50, 50, but a rep, a rep should be like 90, 10 value. They bring to businesses versus partial plans and culture and all the rest of that. As a manager, I'm going to balance it a little bit more and I'm probably going to put it towards, you know, what my selling percentages is. If I'm a 50-50 seller manager, you know, it's probably going to be about 50-50 on that. You know, if, if I'm an HR person, it may be more about culture overall. Um, but if I'm a sales rep, 90% of what I'm going to be doing is, is, is at least is going to be focused on selling to businesses and not partial plans, not fam- friends and family officers selling and providing real value uh, through that platform. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out here because you know, this is something that I've used. This is like a sales tool for me now. It's like, and and I'm going to hold it up so you can see it. Um, And I'll take a picture of it and put it on Twitter in a few minutes because I'm going to post this after we get done with it. Um, Here is 125 ways that you can create content that creates value in the business of business sales process that I've created over the years. It needs a little love. It's I've had this thing for at least three or four years now. And it, it looks like a treasure map. <laughs> what, so, what do I find if I follow this? I find ex- sales. If exactly. I follow yes, you do. The, the truth is that you find a lot of sales if you're me <laughs> yeah, because, because that's like, um, that's like magic because people are like, well, what does content mean? Or like, how do you use content for this? And I go, well, here's like 125 different ways. And like, it's, there's no like set formula, but these are all the different ways. And depending on what you're trying to do, you can just create what you need. Right. And, um, any, any sports premium sales team that wants to open their doors to me, my evil (laughs) ideas. So using some of this stuff in this context is like something I would love to do because they, they are so, um, they could see such a boost from some of these things. Right. Um, and I think what happens is you get so used to doing things one way that sometimes it's tough to get shaken out of your, um, your complacency into doing something else. Right. And there, I mean, there's like so many great, it was used to be on the Florida Panthers website. It was like the greatest endorsement uh, and testimonial for premium seating that I've ever seen. Right. It was great. The guy that was like, I don't remember the name of the company. It was some guy, I mean, it was a construction company. He goes through this Florida Panthers, like uh, premium seating um, community. I've generated $3 million in new business for my company. And I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly yes. right. That's, 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 that, that'll get, that guy's going to renew. Yes. <laughs> He's yeah, going to renew forever. Right. Exactly right. I was like, that's the greatest testimonial that you should have up there. It, that should just be it. Full stop. You, you come to a Panthers uh, game and sit in the premium and we create opportunities for you to make money. Boom. Yep. 
people are yeah, gonna pay attention it. to that, right? I mean, there's yeah. this is a, maybe it's a myth of like there's like so many people who are just t- taking their kids to games or they're doing this or they're going for fun or whatever. Um, you know, like the price structure of some of this stuff is like so um, skewed towards the you know the premium or the enterprise buyer that like. If you're not looking for those things, there's somebody else who's definitely going, hey, look, we threw this event at X, Y, and Z place, and then we were able to generate X amount of new dollars. Boom. Yeah. You know, and so if I'm looking for like ways to entertain my clients and connect with them, I'm going to go where they're talking about how they, they've used those events to leverage them for money. And Yes. You know, there's enough breaks in the action if you're at a basketball or a football game or a baseball game or any game, except for maybe soccer, but that doesn't matter. Soccer's great. Um and even then, I would say argue that it, that's not true. That you can connect, and you can connect in a new way because you have all these ways to build a relationship, right, with people during the breaks and timeouts. Like everybody has a favorite player, everybody has a favorite re- reason for liking their team, whatever it is. But it's got to be focused on the outcome, the value you create. Okay. But I mean, that's just me. You know, what do I know? Who am I? I, just made, I know you. <laughs> you know me. I made a, I made a few shekels in my my time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, what this kind of leads into is another area we were talking about. Is one of our. I mean, I both love it and hate it. Is the empty seats galore Twitter account? Yeah. Um, we were talking about, and that we don't bring that up to. Um, they do a great job of promoting themselves, um, but it's fundamentals of filling the stadiums, right? Because. One of the things that I saw yesterday, and I mentioned it to you before we started recording, was um, the idea that Major League Baseball is solving all of its issues because its uh, first week attendance was up like 1.4% um, over the year before. And I was like going, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a hard look at that because I don't necessarily know if that's true. Um, and so I think the fundamentals of filling the stadium kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of stuff we've talked about today. Um, which is like, uh, you know, the culture, the ability to connect with people, um, you know, the fact that sports is awesome and, that, like, you know, people are looking for certain things. Um, now more than ever, right, we, we, we know that consumer spending on experiences is going up and it's likely to hit, God, I think it's, it's a huge number. It's in the trillions of dollars over the next five or seven, five to ten years. And the next decade is going to grow even more to trillions of dollars worldwide. That said, that should be a clear indicator that people want to go out and hang out and have experiences with other people, right? Um, if you follow evolutionary, uh, evolutionary science at all, you know that humans are animals and, and pack animals. We like to yep. be together. Um, yes. Yet, the fundamentals of filling a stadium seem to be broken. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many questions to answer within that one. Um we were talking about this before too, and you know we have we have we have one decided advantage too. Um, you know, is that pro sports are amazing. Like watching it is amazing. Seeing these athletes compete is amazing. The fan experience, being able to share it with other people, is amazing. And yet, you know, we've you know I I, I use this phrase a lot now since I've you know I've started consulting uh, a company. Is you know we've made tickets elite, expensive, and elaborate. Um, when, you know, part of what we do when I teach sales trainings, one of the things I remind people is all our job needs to be is helping people get to something they already want to go to by spending less money. Like that is the job of a ticket sales rep is to help people spend less money 
to get to something they already want to go to. And yet we make it so elaborate. We make it so difficult. Um, you know, you know, group ticket sales does a pretty good job by doing just that, right? Like, you know, group sales is one of the actually real positives in sports right now. And they do a really good job of being like, how cool would it be to come to this with a lot of people? And people are like, yes, it would be so cool to come to that with a lot of people. Um, and yet we've made season tickets too complicated. We've made partial plans too complicated. We've destroyed the individual game ticket market through the secondary market. Um, there, there's just all those ways, like really the fundamental thing that's not that broken is group sales, which is the one thing that we've done a really good job innovating on over the last 15 to 20 years. And yet we've done such a poor job innovating on all of the, <laughs> literally all of the other ways that people find themselves getting into a stadium. And um, the innovate, we talked about this before, but the innovations that we do make aren't innovations, they're subtle changes, <laughs> um, not innovations on it. And I think one of the things that we need to do going forward is is really take a look at season ticket sales, partial plan sales, um, and uh, individual game ticket buying experience, um, making them less elite, making them less elaborate, making them less expensive, but more importantly, truly innovating in those areas to be able to make sure that we empower fans to want to be able to make those purchases again, because if at some point all we're going to have is group sales to fill a stadium, we're going to be screwed because we cannot do that in that bulk without having a million sales reps for every every single one of those games. So we need to fundamentally fix those areas of the business that are that are truly lacking right now. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. One, of the, one of the things I push back on constantly here is whenever I have anybody who's associated with the secondary market on here and they talk about the ticket being just a commodity, and I go, of course it is in your view, right? And I don't disagree with them. That's their point of view, and I understand it completely. What I do say, though, is it's like you're on the team side or you're like the you know, content producer, no matter what it is. Do I want my event, my experience to be a commodity? Um, and yeah. part of the problem with like the single ticket market being broken, right? It's not the secondary market's fault right they've done they've, they've only no. done what they've been incentivized to do this is like all about incentives this is uh your micro and macro economics 101 you know if you're if you're paying attention at home it's that like people are going to respond to incentives and so if you want to and you're you've created an incentive where people have decided it's best to wait to buy a ticket to a game a lot of unintended consequences come with that right like so the prices get driven down unless there's something externally hot about the matchup, right? Which is yeah. a bad way to run a business. Um, you know, people wait. And so then they might not go because of some, some other commitment, right? Um, some better opportunity comes up. All these different things come in place, right? You have to change the dynamic to make it so it's more valuable to buy the ticket early, to commit, right? Cash in hands better than cash in the future. I mean, it's the, it's, this is just a business tool and you have to revisit this. That's why I, I really struggle with all of these subscription plans. I know, I understand that people are um, comfortable with subscription plans, right? They like on-demand things for Netflix and um, the Apple Plus News thing, which looks pretty awesome. But I would, if I were one of the uh, uh, magazines and content producers taking part in that, I'd be a little concerned for my business model because it doesn't seem like it's going to be a good business for me. Um, you know, all these things are happening. And I think the fundamental challenge is like you got to rethink the way that you're expressing the value of the live event experience of the sports oh, experience. Yes. Because you, I, we were Preach. talking about this before. It's like, I love the stuff, man. It, it's not, it has nothing to do with like me being like 
upset or bitter or anything else. It's like, I'm just looking at it going like we have every advantage in, in the world for what, you know, cause no matter what you go see, it's never going to happen again, right? Like it's the most unique content in the world. You might be able to watch Incredible. highlights, but you're never going to be there in person again, right? It's like, I don't care if it's like um, the third game of this baseball season, right? And you got your number three starter against the other number three starter. You're never going to see this exact same thing again with this exact same crowd of people in these exact same conditions. It's entirely unique. It'll never happen again. It's a one-of-a-kind thing. It's a missed opportunity to be like, you never know what will happen. Um, yeah. Rethink the value proposition. The oh, second thing is like, um, I'll try to tag it or I'll, put, I'll send it out on Twitter. Was Ian Taylor, who's my friend from the UK, who works with um, Big Dog Agency, but his big client that he works with a lot is Feld, who Feld puts on the Disney on Ice and they used to put on the Circus and they're based here in DC. But he was talking to me about we're so sales oriented in the States. We got to, and, and I think that marketing is broken in the way that sports teams are doing it, right? I think for so long, um, they've uh, outsourced so much of the marketing and advertising that is done to partners, right? Because Nike does a great job of, of marketing their athletes and their partners yeah. and the teams they support, right? Under Armour does a, a great job. Um, anybody who's a partner, right? TV, the TV stations, because they want you to watch it on TV, right? They all do a great job of marketing that a lot of cases, the teams, aren't doing a very good job of marketing themselves. And that means marketing the value of coming to the game, marketing the story of their season, uh, telling the story of their athletes, doing all these things. They do a, um, you know, a lot of cases, a job that could be uh, readily improved. And I think that's another thing. And that'll help with the value of the tickets and the packages and the season tickets. Right. And the third thing, because I've gotten long winded here is to always be, not be afraid of failing but be afraid of not trying something new because um, right now we're talking about the AAF, right, and how that le- the league changed and collapsed. Um, and we were talking about we had another example that we were using before. But the thing is, is that people are trying. They might not succeed, but there's no, uh, you know, it's not bad to fail at things. I fail all the time. I mean, ask my wife. Should yes. Ask my son. They'll tell you. I'm, <laughs> I'm a complete and utter failure most of the time. But the stuff I get right after I've tried a few things is awesome. And, and I think we have to become more comfortable with taking risks, not crazy risk, but prudent risk because prudent risk is how you grow and innovate and create new value. Yeah. I said well, a lot. I, think, I don't know if I said anything. No, you did. Um, you know, the other one we were talking about was the Oakland days, right? You know, there's been some pushback from people that I know um, with their all access membership about, you know, maybe that devalues a season ticket. Um, they empowered their fans to believe that they could be a season ticket holder of a team. And they saw 7,000 people step up and say, I want to do that. Right. Like you can say whatever you want and you can fall into whatever camp you want. I will always fall on the side of the positive that that was a gigantic positive for the industry. Someone tried to innovate on season ticket sales and it worked in a way. And again, you can talk about the integrity of the season ticket. And do I believe they cut into the integrity of the season ticket? Maybe a little bit, um, but at least someone tried to innovate on a product that everyone else is just instead of trying, just being like, well, the season ticket's dying. What do we do now? Like waiting for someone else to tell them. And the A's said, screw it. We're going to give it a shot, right? Like we are going to try to innovate on a product that has made a decision to not innovate. And congratulations to them because it worked. Like it worked. And, and if you're innovating if it, and it didn't work the right way, you can still innovate some more because you have data seven, that's telling you what people like and what they don't like. If nobody buys you're, what you're selling, all you know is that nobody wants it. 
So then if you don't change it, you're an idiot because you you, you have to change, right? That's feedback. That's, you know, yeah. it's not like, well, I guess the season two is dying. No, well, okay, the question's not, what do I do because it's dying? No, it's like, well, how do I make it so people want it? I mean, yeah, well, and so, sorry, but like, so one of the things that frustrates me the most about working with marketing departments in sports, you know, goes back to something else you're saying. I mean, please disagree with me, but the one thing that sports have, like we say this all the time, sports, big brand, small business, right? Like that is one of the fundamental challenges of selling sports, big brand, small business. So every time I worked for a team where everyone was like, well, what's the brand of this? What's, what's the big B brand? What's the big B brand? And I'm like, I think people know who we are. Like, I think part of what we need to do is to, I think to the point you're saying, we, we need to tell the story better. Like we need to be a little bit more tactical in the way that we tell the story and how that fits up to the big brand, as opposed to just thinking big brand, big brand, big brand, big brand, big brand. And then that's great. But if you have three people into the state in your stadium, that is just going to absolutely destroy the value of anything you created from a big B level. Um, that storytelling from a marketing department is so critical. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, and I go back to this all the time, and I'm sure people want to like hit me over the head with a chair in it, but, you know, we had the largest average attendance increase in Major League Soccer in two of the years um, where the crew had their worst seasons in the field in Columbus. Uh, and part of the reason that we were able to do that was because we were so synchronized. Like we were going to be an exclusively, we were going to be Columbus's team, right? Like we were going to be Columbus's team and that wasn't a knock on anyone else. You know, Ohio state had the tradition. Um, the blue jackets had a gorgeous new downtown stadium and a fun product to be able to be at the Clippers could beat us on pricing and had a new stadium. So we needed to be Columbus's team because that's a, we made a decision. That's a culture of what our sport is to be the heartbeat of a community. So we were going to be Columbus's team. And that wasn't just a big B thing. That was a big brand thing, but it also was a story that we told from all the branding and marketing that we did through all the way that our sales reps communicated the value to the storytelling that marketing did about who the people on our team were and having eight or nine players from Ohio on the team and supporting that with all this information and the ability to tell the story about it. But that's what I think made it so appealing to people was it wasn't just a big B thing or it wasn't just a sales thing. It was this thing that every touch point you had with our organization, you were feeling that this team wanted to be the heartbeat of what Columbus was. No, that's a good example because you said you talked about the big B brand, right? And I think um, a little bit we 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 we, we, mis we misunderstand the impact and the power of the brand, right? And then we also yes. misinterpret what marketing is, right? Because um, I don't think people understand marketing, maybe, or maybe I have a different take on marketing than everybody else does. Which I think marketing every, marketing is everything your organization does, from like. Every interaction, every every little decision you make is a marketing decision. That's my yep. philosophy. I probably have had that now for most of my life. Um, but you said that everybody. I think people know who we are, and that may be true. But the more important question we should be asking, though, is like, do people know who we are? But more importantly, do they care? And I think that yes. that's the big challenge because – Number one, there's a lot, there is a big branding problem with most teams, and it's because I think they've forgotten how to market themselves, and they've kind of become so homogenized, right? I remember I think it was the Atlanta Hawks who went through a big rebrand a few seasons back, and their CMO at 
time. I don't know if she's still there. She was talking about like how if we stripped away all of our advertising and our marketing, you wouldn't and you wouldn't or all of our branding and our advertising and marketing, you wouldn't know we were anything, you know, we weren't the Boston Celtics or we weren't the Miami Heat or we weren't anything else. I think it's very important because we've gotten to the point where we try to be so risk averse and so like similar that we've created something that people, they might know who we are. They might even know what's up, but do they care? And I think that like a lot of that caring has gone, right? Because like you, you just brought up Columbus, right? We want to be Columbus's team. That's a specific branding story. That's a specific tactical story. That's just like creates a center, a core to what you're doing that allows you to have something to say to people, right? There's something you drive people towards. There's meaningfulness to what you're talking about. It's just a much wiser decision. I think that that's lost in a lot of cases, but I I could be wrong. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, like, listen, you know, obviously I've spent a lot of my time in soccer. And when you look at some of the greatest brands in soccer, you understand exactly what they are, right? Like the Portland Timbers, they are, excuse my language, they are fucking lumberjacks, right? Like we're going to be lumberjacks on the field. We're going to be lumberjacks in the stands. We're going to have a guy cutting wood. Like that's our identity. That's who we are. The Seattle Sounders, this is going to be weird, right? Like we're going to wear weird colors and it's going to be a weird experience and we're different people in the stands. You look at Atlanta United who led, we're going to be fan friendly first. We're going to be an organization that cares about our fans. We're going to be unique about the way that we go about bringing players into the organization. We're going to be unique and different and we are going to focus on the fans. And those are the greatest success stories. And if you look, they all three did it differently right but they took ownership from everything from the branding to the colors to the advertising to the way they talk to their fans to the way their sales reps are able to communicate that um they hit it out of the park and they those when you look at those three those are some of the biggest success stories in professional sports over the last 20 25 years um and all three of them you know exactly who they are the minute that you say that organization's name and there's a reason that, you know, that those organizations continue to find tremendous success. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You have to, you, you know, there's, you can't be everything to everyone. You have to be very, very specific. And I think that begins with like having a, it's critical, right? Um, having a mission statement that reflects what your team, the whole organization should be, right? Like it's, um, what was the Raiders commitment to excellence? Right. So then that makes it, you know, that's a pretty clear value statement. Right. Um, I tell the story of um, the day after Election Day in 2016. And I went to um, because I live in D.C. and I've done some political work over time. And I was like, going, I'm going to look at I want to look at like Hillary Clinton losing the election from like the point of view of branding and marketing. And I went to the Democrats um, mission statement and I couldn't make hide nor hair of it. It was like so convoluted. And, um, if, if I'm gonna have to mark this one, NSFW (laughs) ass backwards (laughs) and and so completely, um, baffling that it was no wonder that like they couldn't tell a consistent story and that they couldn't make a case for why you should vote, um, you know, and don't bring that bull crap in here that she won the popular vote. You know, she didn't win, the election, the way it was laid out, couldn't tell a story that was able to win the election. Right. Yep. Because and it's, it's the same with everybody. Right. And, and it's, you have to be, you, you have to have something that guides you. Right. Like for me, it's like, I want to help people maximize their, their, their revenue. Right. I mean, you know, it's a simple thing. It's like, 
and, and deeper down, if I'm working with like small businesses, I know that it gives them power, right? Like uh, over yeah. the, over their careers and over their livelihoods. Um, but mo- in most cases, it's like I want to help you maximize the impact of your projects in your ability to make money. I mean, it's pretty simple. I, I like to make money. Um, how clear are a lot of these organizations' mission statements, right? And Peter Drucker would say it needs to fit on a T-shirt. Um, yeah. You know, commitment to excellence is great, right? Like it means and it, that would trickle down in theory to everybody, right? Like is this is this going to be excellent? Is this going to help? Um, you know, because that's, that's your brand, right? Like everything yeah. there is like if you're committed to excellence, that's your brand. Because I think that like really what's getting lost is the emotional connection, right? Everybody's um, – I think I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and he was talking about like how a lot of these guys are like CEO of their, of their business, right. Of the people, of the player. And what, what we lost is we've lost the connection to team. Like we're really, everybody, people um, are really connected maybe to Kevin Durant or to D Wade, obviously, if we've seen it this week, but are they connected to the team? And in many cases, yeah. it's not as strong anymore. Right. It's uh, we were, t- we were sharing the story before I'm much more attached to Tottenham Hotspur than I am to, yep almost anything except for the university of Alabama. And, yeah. and does that mean that I don't go to see stuff? No, I was like, I took my kid to see the Mets the other day, right. Um, when they were in DC it's, but I am connected to the story and to the vision and to the mission of the, of Todd Hotspur to dare to, to do, to do right? yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's missed. And I think that that drives the marketing issues. It drives the challenge of selling, um, Single tickets, packages, group packages, um, season tickets. It, it's the, that's the big problem. But. Well, I think – I mean so, so two things to that. Um, first, the players have done a better job of telling the story than the teams have. Right. I mean 100%. Like, and that, that – I mean this is going to sound very harsh to the industry, but that should be very embarrassing to us as an industry that players who have absolutely no formal training in any of this – have partnered with brands outside of their teams to tell a better story than we can tell about them. And we need to really take a look at that, which, you know, kind of brings me to my second point is all these questions get asked, right? Like, how's this going to help us fill seats tomorrow? And I think that's the, the fundamental problem that the teams that are in these positions need to have, which by the way, is what, like 75, 80% of the industry right now is you're not going to fix the problem tomorrow. Yeah. Like, You're not going to fix the problem tomorrow. The actions you take today, and this is one of the best compliments I've been paid. I just finished up a long-term consulting assignment and it it came in as a way to being like, all right, how do we fix ticket sales right now? And, you know, we left and, you know, and and the president said to me, you know, I believe all the actions that we're going to take, we're going to look on this back in six months now. And we're going to say, oh my gosh, it was incredible to have Brett here. And I was like, that is the nicest compliment you can pay me because every problem that you have is a pro- is a product of deteriorating over time that can only be fixed by creating real value and telling the right story and doing the right things over a period of time. That's how you're going to earn the trust back with the fans and, and the people that you've that you've been able to push away. And that that is everything from big brand all the way down to the individual sales reps that you bring into the organization. Every way that you touch an organization, you've got to build the brand and you've got to be able to build the marketing back up through that. There's there's no, there's nothing that's broken in professional sports that gets fixed overnight unless you sign LeBron James or you draft Zion Williamson. But and that doesn't even, even fix it. Then, even then, that is a Band-Aid over a much larger problem. That is a short-term Band-Aid over a much larger problem. Um, and we see all those teams who try to maximize the revenue in that moment um, 
when you know that there's you know there's there are organizations that have made the smarter move and um, and instead of you know firing all their salespeople when they draft Zion, have turned a lot of those people into customer service people and become more customer service centric. Um, that is a smart move. Firing all your people to maximize the revenue moment is stupid um, because the larger the larger the the Portland Timbers are going to sell out every. I'm convinced they're going to sell out every game for eternity because they have created so much value in being in that stadium to watch that game that it is going to be very difficult and it's going to take a long period of time for them to dissolve the value that they've created no matter how poorly they do on the field. And that's the idea that these teams, you have to create the value and the integrity and that contract with your fans that you care about them, you care about the experience, you want to be what they want you to represent. You want to be what you want to represent. And if you continue to build value that way, you're going to find more people in your stadium, but it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be over time. And, you know, one of the great things, you know, Clark Beacom, who's now with Austin FC, who's with me at the crew, um, you know, one of the questions he used to ask me all the time is, are we going to be proud of this decision in two years? Um, Which was such a great question that every time a ticket sales organization asks a question, like, Maybe you do discounted for something, discounting for something, right? Maybe you do $10 tickets for something. But the idea is, are you going to be proud of that that decision? Will you be able to have justified that decision in two years? And if your answer is maybe or no, don't do it. Like if it's a $10 ticket to a teacher for teacher appreciation day, do it. Like, and if you can be proud of that in two years, do that. But if it is bulk mass marketed discounting on something, you when you are what you want to be, you are not going to be proud of it. Don't do it. No, that, that's exactly right. Most of these challenges, they weren't created in a day. They're not going to be solved in a day. Um, but one thing I would push back on because I think that um, this gets people into a danger zone is you use the Portland Timbers example. It's like it'll take them a long time to tear down anything that they built. I actually think it would happen a lot faster. I think it's like something you have to continue to nurture and and pay attention oh. to because if not, you do you lose it. You know, it's like the person who goes broke, rich man who goes broke, right? That that story, that parable, right? It was slow at first, and then all of a sudden, it's the same thing with like a fan experience or a culture. It's like slow at first, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. And then to turn it back around is years and years and years of work. It's something you have it's precious you have to continue to focus on it so yeah so there's there's no doubt about that but i would say that the problems that one team would have might occur overnight where the timbers would occur several years down the line because of the value they've gained too and then one thing i want to make sure i say the portland timbers are one of the best pro sports organizations i've been around period because they are uncomfortable all the time Like you talk to the leadership group in Portland, they are so uncomfortable every single moment um, about losing the integrity and the value that they've created, that the way they innovate, the way they think, the way they try to maximize every opportunity, the way they try to continue the culture that they have through the torn, through the thorns, through P2, through everything that they've done, through innovating within their own stadium and the confines they have with that stadium. um, It's, it is a remarkable job of not being, 
complacent in any way, shape, or form when they had all rights to be complacent for a minute or two. They have been uncomfortable every step of the way, and it is just remarkable what they've been able to accomplish because of how uncomfortable they've remained as an organization, and that is full credit to the leadership there. No, it's awesome because that's the um, the example that people give anytime they visit the football offices at the University of Alabama is that everybody's constantly uncomfortable. And, and I think that's like really a commitment to excellence because what got you to where you are today is not going to get you to wherever you're trying to get to next, right? Um, excellence is fleeting if you don't continue to push at it, right? It's Yes. I try to never rest on my laurels as far as stuff that I do, right? It's, you know, I'm always pushing, right? Like we talked about this before. It's like, I'm always trying to figure out how to make this podcast better. Um, I'm always yes. looking at ways to like make, you know, uh, things I'm writing about and thinking about. I'm trying to just get better all the time. It's just a never ending process of innovation. I think that never being comfortable and kind of always focusing on how I can get better. It, it makes people uncomfortable because it's so unusual, but that's how you become yep. excellent. And I think that's maybe the point we need to like, drop on people it's like you gotta kind of always be um you know what is it like a, a clam or an oyster or a, an oy- how, how do you make a pearl like a, 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 yeah. a sand right you gotta kind of have that same sort of mentality about how you're going to approach your job it's like i gotta kind of always like be grinding on that sand because it's bugging the shit out of me and um you know so, so, so I want to make a pearl. Just just wrote a, a blog that I just saw a little while ago that just hit me in the face like a two by four. I don't know if you saw this one. It's about the uh, the couch in the nice theater with all the tape on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I thought it was one of the most important things that a pro sports team needs to think about every day. Is you know, it, Seth Godin wasn't upset at like the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth person that put tape on that couch. He was pissed at the first person that put tape on that couch that said this couch was worthy of putting tape on it because that gave permission for every single person after that um, to devalue, to continue to devalue the couch. Um, And I just, I was like, oh my gosh, like every sports executive needs to read this because there are so many organizations that just need to throw out the couch right now, right? Like just pick up the couch, throw it out the window um, and, and, and make sure that it's, it's, it's taking a step back, taking responsibility for putting tape on the couch and then throwing that couch out and spending the money to buy the new couch because you know that that is what true greatness is 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 understanding the the mistakes that you've been able to that you've made and maybe you've been a part of them i have been a part of discounting like i don't ever want to pretend i'm above any of the stuff that i'm talking about but it doesn't mean that it was right when i did it um, and i know what it feels like when all of that has caught up to you and you're almost trapped in this moment and you got to stop putting tape on the couch. You just got to throw the you got to throw the couch out. <laughs> yeah, no that, yeah, no that. Again, we know that I am probably the most vocal opponent of discounting uh, in in that touches sports and entertainment anywhere. Yeah, I know this because I've made the mistakes. Right? It's not, like just like you said, I made the mistakes. Learn from like my stupidity or Brett's stupidity yeah. to like not do it <laughs> to not do it yourself. I I I put tape on the couch. I'm yeah. one of the people that put tape on the couch, and I just need to understand that the the value that 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 value that that couch takes away from the value of what the theater is. 
um, is is very replicable to to the the damage we do when we tell a season ticket holder they aren't valued by putting out a seven dollar ticket um, is is we we see the short terms gain the short term gains what we don't understand is the long term damage that we do um, in in the process. In a, in a long-term view, throwing out the throwing out the old crappy couch that you've covered up with tape, um, you know, tearing down the peeling uh, wallpaper in your premium areas uh, because it doesn't look premium. Uh, all those, I think, that was a good good spot to leave everybody on because I, yeah. we've definitely been going at this now for a while. Um, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. We always we always seem to take the conversational rambling approach, which I love more than anything else. Well, people don't get the you know if it's not you, I don't get the chance to necessarily go back and forth about stuff because I try to be respectful of the people who are coming on and like you know they, they they're experts and yeah. stuff. I'm not not necessarily an expert in, but you are like more like somebody I can talk talk with. Like if it was a little later, we could have beers while we were doing this, and it would be great. Absolutely, um, I think that's some of the best some of the best podcasts. Uh, use utilize alcohol, right? Like, I saw when they were drinking wine. I was like, "That's my kind of podcast, right there." Yeah. Um, but yeah, before, absolutely. where where do where do we want to point people today, though? Just for you, um, please. I mean, they know how to, to check find out my you, website. Still. Yeah, yeah. Please continue to check out my website, empoweredsalesperson.com. It's completely free. Um, it's the coolest thing I've done in my career. Um, the the fact that we get so many people uh, on on that site every single every single day at this point. Um, is 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 so cool to me that people actually really care um, uh, about the develop. I mean, it still gives me hope, right? Like empoweredsalesperson.com. Every time I, you know, I I don't post an article and I wake up and I see that 50 people have read it. It gives me a lot of hope that people in this industry still really care about selling tickets and doing the right thing. And so, you know, I know we we may have tried to blow up that concept over the last hour or so. You know, there are lots of people in this industry that still want to innovate, that still want to do the right thing, that may be constrained by some challenges they have right now. But the more they listen to people like you, the more they read the stuff that goes up on my site, I hope the more empowered they feel that when they get that moment of power, that they're going to want to make those changes. They're going to want to innovate uh, and they're going to want to do it. So um, empoweredsalesperson.com and, you know, all my contact information's on that site. So, um yeah, of course we'll tag you in the show notes. And one one thing I want to make one point out, final point I want to make is that I hope that this didn't come off like we're beating up on people. I just always am like like you said. I want to make people feel just slightly uncomfortable because I just want them to question the things they've always assumed. Right? That's always my my point of view. Is like, what if this isn't true? Right? This yeah. this, this conventional wisdom. What if that's not right? And what? And, that, and that's all. That's really where my point of view is. I'm just contrary, but not because I'm angry or anything. It's just like because I don't want to be blindsided because I've followed. You know, I'm like a lemming jumping off a, of a cliff. I want to just be like oh, cognizant of there's other way. There's a lot of different ways of looking at things, and I might be able to take an opportunity to make a lot more money because everybody's looking one way and I'm looking the other. Well, I, I, I mean, the last thing I mean. I don't come to any conclusions with having beaten my beaten myself up first about it. Like I am the first person I beat up with any of the opinions that I feel um, aren't good because I've made every single one of those mistakes. And I'm, you know, a lot, most of my sales training is written from the things where I just kept bashing my head into the wall, doing it the wrong way until I found the right solution. And like I said, you know, all my points of views are, are cultured in the point that I care to learn and I care to innovate. Um, but I also know that I've made all those mistakes first. And 
I know that I want to avoid those mistakes um, and hopefully helping other people avoid some of those mistakes um, will, will, will help the industry and move the industry along. And again, that's one of the things I've always appreciated about you is um, while we agree, I would say a good 90, 95% of the time, I appreciate that. You know, we talked about earlier, you take an opinion on things, you take a stance on things and you can agree or you can disagree, but there's no way that that dialogue and that conversation, that debate doesn't help the industry a hundred percent. Well, thank you for that. And I try to, um, I try not to be like, um, militant in, in, in the stances I take, I, you know, because it's not like I won't change my mind it's, except for about discounts. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's going to be, that's going to go on my grave, my, on my tomb. It'll be like, don't discount dummy. <laughs> but other than that, yes, yes, there are worse gravestones. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, 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 when the people who are uh, discounters, they call me and I go, we really don't have a lot to talk about. <laughs> there's yeah, not, there's no. not much we can talk about here. Um, but other than that, yes, it's just like it's a constant focus. And, you know, um, as much as anything using this platform that I've been fortunate enough to develop, um, you know, pay attention to guys like Brett, right? They're, you know, because it's this um, – pay attention to guys like Mike Guffrey, Troy Kirby, Kathy Burroughs, um, you know, those people, Lance Tyson, they're, they're – they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not always going to give you the answer that you want. But they're, they're going to yeah. try to give you the answer you need. Um I'm sure that if anybody's been listening to this thing for a while, you know that's true for me. And you know, so I want to thank you for doing the, taking the time to do this thing with me today. Um, I'm sure we'll do part, part three, three soon. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, and you know, and, and so I, I just challenge people to check everything out. So um, until next time. Well, what did you think about that episode? Once again, I want to thank Brett Zelaski for taking a lot of time today to chat. Um, this one's coming out almost immediately after we recorded it. Um, if you have some thoughts and ideas and questions about the podcast, you can email me. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Um, you can always find me at my website. It's www.DaveWakeman.com. You can connect with me on the LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. That's at David Wakeman. Uh, and as I've mentioned many, many times before, and I'm still waiting for somebody to take me up on it, if you find the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, he hasn't tweeted since 2014, I'd really like that one. Um, as I mentioned at the start, June 5th in L.A., I will be doing a one-day workshop on the premium sales process. We are going to cover a ton and it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for you to work with me and some of your colleagues on opening sales conversations uh, finding ways to get to the prospects you need to get to uh, shaping your value proposition guiding the sales process closing the sale getting referrals um, building long-term relationships all of these really really super important and key ideas that will help you drive more premium um, and b2b sales for your organization um, if you want to find out more, you email me, dave at davewakeman.com. I'm going to have a sales page up in a couple of days, but until then, just email me, dave at davewakeman.com, and I will get you the information. I will get you signed up. It's going to be probably the most intense and the most um, high-value sales workshop I've put together in years. It's going to be a uh, awesome day. Uh, I'm excited to see what we learn together. Um, so Dave at DaveWakeman.com to get signed up for the June 5th uh, session in LA. Um, as always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the worldwide leaders, global leaders in refund protection. Um, they just won some more customer service awards in the UK last night. They provide the most incredible 
customer service experience in the world when it comes to handling refund protection claims. Um, any listing in any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect will cover you um, to find out how and why they offer a more comprehensive refund protection product than anyone else, visit the website www.bookingprotect.com and you will see a not complete but impressive list of uh, conditions that they cover, including pre-existing conditions which account for over 30% of the refunds that Booking Protect handles. And that is unusual in the refund protection industry. So to find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to give your customers a better buying experience, greater peace of mind, and how you can create a new stream of revenue for your organization, visit www.bookingprotect.com. And I want to remind you to check out their blog. Um, I've started to regularly contribute to the Booking Protect blog. Uh, Simon Mab is there a lot. Uh, Sam Humphreys. And we're talking a lot about customer service, bottom of the funnel, uh, sales conversions, um, repeat business, using data, all kinds of really great stuff that will help you um, understand how to, number one, use your data more effectively. Um, if you're a partner of Booking Protect, it'll help you understand how to use the data that you get from working with Booking Protect. Um, it'll help you convert more sales. It'll help you drive revenues. It's going to help just in continue to increase the value you get from uh, listening to me here, uh, working with Booking Protect, um, understanding what refund protection can do for your business. So make sure you check that out at www.bookingprotect.com and look for the blog. Finally, I want to thank everyone again who listens to this blog or this podcast regularly. Um, the success of it is all because of you and your, the attention that you share with me. Um, we have consistently been in the top 100 of iTunes business podcasts um, over the last several months, and I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. That's not in some humble brag kind of way. It really is because this podcast is something that I didn't know that there would be an audience for. Um, so I want to thank you, but I also want a favor. If you have been listening to the podcast, if you like it, if you found something valuable, take an episode and share it with a colleague. Tell them why you like it. Tell them what you learned. Share just one person. Pick one person. Share it with them. It means the world to me, right? If you're a huge super fan, subscribe. I know that we are on iTunes. We are on Spotify. We are on... Um, Stitcher. We are on, I think, SoundCloud. We are all over the place. And the numbers keep growing every week. Um, go there. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And most importantly, or maybe not most importantly, but really importantly, leave a review. The reviews help validate people's attention. And they help, it helps tell people that they should be listening to this podcast. And it means the world to me. Um, all of you who listen to this thing, thousands of people a month now. I can't thank you enough for the opportunity that you give me to talk to you and to share all the smart and intelligent people I know with you. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, and until next time, I'll see you soon. And take it easy. Bye-bye. <laughs>